Hello, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. Today, I'm really excited about the guest we have. We have Pratik Patel, who is a sports dietitian, strength and conditioning coach, and PhD student. Most recently, he was the assistant strength and conditioning coach and the director of performance nutrition for the New York Giants. For the past 20 years, Pratik has studied nutrition, fitness, recovery, and the interplay between these and optimal health and performance. He spent 11 years implementing his knowledge with elite athletes, including the Giants, but he also worked with Kansas State, Michigan State, and the University of Oregon, where he had the opportunity to build, grow, and integrate sports nutrition departments from the ground up. And you'll definitely hear all about his story in the interview and how much nutrition knowledge he has is really, really impressive. Uh, During his career, he's worked with two NFL All-Pros, eight Pro Bowlers, 33 NFL draft picks, seven NBA draft picks, two PGA Tour players, and three USATF Olympians. So clearly he is a wealth of knowledge in sports nutrition. I was so excited to talk with him. We chatted a ton about his career experience, what it's like to be a dietitian working with pro football players, and all the different things that he saw pop up among them, including fad diets. And then we talked about supplements like creatine, branch chain amino acids, football players who are going vegan, uh, off-season nutrition and how that's different from in-season nutrition. There was so much really interesting stuff in here and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. But before we jump right in, I do want to remind you that if you like this podcast, I would love it so much if you submit a rating. It takes two seconds. All you have to do is press those little stars at the bottom, preferably five stars if you like it, and leave me a one or two sentence review. It just really helps to get the podcast out in front of people. Apple likes to see reviews, and if you review it, then it sends it out to more people. It suggests the podcast to other people. So I appreciate it while this podcast is in its infant stages, and it can help me continue to create more really great content for you. So we are going to jump into that talk with Pratik, and I hope you like it. Hi, Pratik. Thanks so much for joining the Green Leads podcast. I'm really excited to chat about you and all your experience. No, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be able to share with you. Yeah, I think you have this really aspiring career that people will be impressed with. Can you tell me a little bit about how you even got interested in nutrition, what inspired you to become a dietitian, and then you eventually ended up going on to work with professional athletes, which is so cool. So can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, I think the same story that I have is very similar to a lot of dietitians where you know, something happened in your childhood, whether you were active or whether you went through some kind of transformation and nutrition became something that just stayed with you or resounded with you and you wanted to learn more about it. And that's kind of what happened with me. You know, as a kid, I was pretty active, played soccer and basketball all through elementary school. But like many kids heading into, you know, middle school and adolescence, I ended up stop. I stopped playing sports. You know, so my last sport was basketball in sixth grade. So for a few years, I ended up becoming pretty sedentary, just spending more time you know, playing video games, like living that awkward adolescent life in middle school, you know, wasn't very popular, but just went along with it and got into high school. And as you know, you know, high school is a very controversial time for a lot of people. It it can shape you or it can change you, it can mold you, 
or it could be, uh, you know, something that becomes a little bit difficult. So the first couple of years wasn't as enjoyable. You know, I wasn't one of the popular kids or jocks or anything like that, you know, just a smart little nerdy Indian kid. Uh, but I don't know, there, there's just something in me that, you know, knew that I wanted to make a change. You know, I wanted to still be active. I wanted to become a little bit more popular. I wanted to see if, you know, sports was the thing that I could get back into. So I kind of just made a decision to where, you know, I'm the only one who's going to be able to change myself. You know, no one's going to come help me out. No one's going to save me. It's all on my shoulders. So I decided to just start, you know, figuring out how can I eat better? How can I start moving a little bit more? And at that age, it was going to the grocery store and, or the GNC and picking up a magazine and trying to learn about how can I become a bodybuilder? Because that I like, I just wanted to be a lot like those guys on the covers, which as you know, is kind of BS. And what they do is not exactly what people should be doing. But over the course of a couple of years, I was able to transform myself, you know, got into track, got back into football and was really able to, you know, enjoy the latter part of high school. And I think I love training and what nutrition ended up doing for me because I went through a pretty significant transformation more than playing the sport in and of itself. So that's really where my love for, you know, nutrition and training began. So I decided, you know, that's something I wanted to keep doing. Went to high, I went to college at K-State for undergrad, started out in mechanical engineering because I was really good at math and science and, you know, quickly learned that I didn't belong there because one, I didn't really know what a mechanical engineer was supposed to do. And all the other kids in the major were a lot smarter than me. They knew exactly what they wanted to get out of it and enjoy the classes a lot more than I did, which I was struggling in because I just, it didn't resound with me. And a friend of mine had mentioned like, Hey, you really like nutrition and exercise. Why don't you look into this dual major that K-State has, which a lot of kids end up doing if they're going, you know, pre-physical therapy or, uh, you know, med school path. And I was already down a year. So I didn't want to, you know, do the full 155 credit hours and be in school another five years. And someone said, Hey, well, why don't you just go one way or the other? You can go the nutrition dietetics route or you can go kinesiology. So talk to a few of the advisors and really liked the nutrition and dietetics route and said, yeah, I could become a registered dietitian. I can, you know, finish out my schooling. I could end up getting uh, my certification, pass the exam, and maybe I could work at a gym and help people with their, you know, exercise by doing meal plans and, you know, training them. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And that's what my goal was to end up doing in some capacity. So ended up transferring over, really loved the classes, finished out the coursework and, um, you know, graduated, didn't match with the DI my first go around. So I had to wait, had to, you know, get some jobs here in Kansas just to pass the time. My parents were super uh, disappointed with my decision because coming from a very uh, traditional Indian background where a lot of my family members are doctors and, you know, this and that, those traditional type careers where you're going to find success, you know, and when you stray away from that parents worry because uh, there's a high chance of failing because it's just not very common. So they weren't too thrilled with that. So had to bide my time was fortunate enough to match with the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville uh, in 2009. So was able to go there for six years, six months. It was an accelerated program, uh, super crazy hours, but definitely learned a lot and got a chance to start working with clients and athletes in these athletic settings, did a rotation out with the Houston Texans, just, you know, one or two weeks, just learning how a sports dietitian works and integrates with themselves around athletes, came back to Kansas after the internship was over and, you know, reached out to Randy Bird, who was at KU, 
kind of just saw what his position was like working as a full-time dietitian in an athletic department realized that, you know, I definitely wasn't ready for that. I had a lot more work I needed to do to get to that kind of level, but wanted to stick with it. And, you know, there weren't a lot of jobs available for me in Kansas where I could use, you know, me as, a, as an RD and a few other people had mentioned like, look, if you, if you can't find work or no one's really going to hire you outright working with athletes, maybe you can market yourself a little bit more by learning about exercise physiology and kinesiology and potentially becoming a strength coach and seeing if that can open some doors for you. So I thought, you know, that's, that's a good idea. And then ended up going back to K state was a graduate teacher in kinesiology, which, you know, was a lot of fun, learned a lot, was able to coach, was able to do research, was able to teach. So really getting a chance to hone a lot of different skill sets and not just focusing strictly on the nutrition piece. So I was able to complement it with the teaching and with the coaching, which really opened my eyes to a lot of different things, which was great. And, you know, finished out my time there, did a master's thesis with an exercise intervention study. And that summer, there were a lot of collegiate programs that were hiring for, you know, their first sports dietitian or a coordinator of nutrition. So I was fortunate enough to get a couple interviews and ended up getting my first job at Michigan State, having my hand in a few different things. So it wasn't just a a sports dietitian position in an athletic department. Part of my role was to work with the athletes there, you know, contracted 20 to 10 to 20 hours, but also help teach classes in sports nutrition, help do with some research projects there, but also help coach and train some of the youth athletes around the mid Michigan community. So again, getting a chance to do a lot of different things. So it wasn't just specifically nutrition focused, even though that was my main role, but it was still doing a lot of different things, which was great. Um, was able to build a relationship with the Michigan State Athletic Department through the department that I was working with. And, you know, was hoping that could potentially grow. But, you know, as you know, some of these roles are a little bit slower in their development. Sometimes administrations aren't necessarily equipped to fund a position or they're not just ready to go ahead and outright hire somebody and make a department. And that's where they were at that time. And I was I was ready to do that. I felt that that was the next step in my career and really was actually looking on the NCA job site to pass off some GA openings and or entry level internship positions to some of the interns we were working with at Michigan State just to tell them like, hey, there's a position open. You should you know at least get a chance to apply. This will give you the opportunity to put together a cover letter, make sure your resume is up to date you know, send in the information, hopefully get a phone interview. If you don't get the uh, the job or you don't get placed with them, at least you got a chance to do that and you have that experience. So the next time you do it, you're going to be better prepared. And lo and behold, there was an opening for a sports nutrition director at the University of Oregon. So a place that was very progressive, you know, had been investing in their student athletes with this holistic sports performance model which was really cool to me, definitely something that was new, but, you know, was able to admire it from afar and, you know, applied and was fortunate enough to get the job. So that was a pretty big 180 for me going from a place where I was, didn't have a ton of responsibilities, even though I was doing a lot, uh, probably working a lot more than I was getting paid to do, but it was what I needed to do to continue to, you know, hone my skills, get more experience, build up my resume, build that trust with the athletes and the coaches to now running a department where I'm in charge of a budget, I'm in charge of labor and staffing. I have to create all the protocols and policies for everything that was going on. And also, you know, be very open and get up to speed with the integration of sports medicine and sports performance and sports science 
Oh, wow. So you, sorry to interrupt. You were in charge of the whole department, not just nutrition. No, just this, the sports nutrition department. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was such a great experience for me because when I was at Michigan state, I worked really closely with the strength and conditioning staff. And then at Oregon, it was a lot more integrated with the sports medicine and the sports performance and sports science staff. So I got a chance to really see things from both sides and both perspectives and learn a lot more about what's important to both staff groups and how can, you know, how does sports nutrition play a role in supporting what they're trying to do and what their aims are with the athletes, but also speaking the same language and all being on the same page, which was really great for my development on top of, you know, now being in charge of a department and being a leader, which I hadn't done before to that extent. So there were a lot of things that I wasn't good at at the start and I didn't succeed at, and but I guess I had to go through that to understand how to be a better leader, how to be a better mentor, because I didn't do a very good job when I started out. But sometimes you kind of have to go through that to learn how to be better instead of, oh, I got it right the first time and I'm just going to go with it that way. So we had, you know, three good years there. But again, just with anything, uh, you know, you kind of evaluate where your trajectory is, your, you know, was what I was doing in that department and overall all around exactly what I felt like I could be doing or was there something missing? And, you know, the, the last football season we went through was a pretty uh, a tough one because the full staff got fired because, you know, we didn't meet expectations. We started in the top 25 and then fizzled out to where the team finished like three and nine or four and eight. It was just a really bad season. And then they brought in a whole new coaching staff and that, you know, changed the dynamic a little bit more. Um, I felt that there was still more that I could potentially do and wanted to do and, and this was in 2016, heading into 2017. And I actually had interviewed for a position with an NFL team. And it went pretty deep, but they ended up uh, deciding not to go full-time. They're still going to stick with a consultant. So that, you know, was tough to kind of go through because that was the beginning of the 2016 football season, which led to a very uh, heartbreaking season where a lot of good people got fired. And then, you know, I had to think, you know, do I want to stay in my position where I'm at now? Or do I feel like there's more I can do and more I can challenge myself with? And I, I thought that I would want to try to see if I could, you know, take the next step, whether it's a professional level, whether it's a different position and see if I could put together, you know, the two backgrounds and specialties that I had at that time, which was not only sports nutrition, but also, you know, a little bit of physiology and coaching on top of, you know, everything that I had learned working with the strength staff at Michigan state, but also working with the performance and sports science staff at Oregon and, you know, I, I had heard from some colleagues and some friends that the Giants were looking to hire, you know, not only a sports dietitian, but they wanted somebody with a strength and conditioning background. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, it's kind of just times up perfectly with what I'm hoping to do, because I think, you know, being able to be in a role that has both of those as a, a part of a job description would be very unique because there's not, there's, you know, a small handful that actually end up doing that. And it could really allow me to challenge myself because I didn't want to just jump into a nutrition role just because it was the NFL, because I had a very progressive department that was set up at Oregon, a lot of integration to where I could do any pretty much any and everything that I wanted. And they allowed me to because, you know, I had the athletes best interests at heart and was you know trying to work together with everybody else. And I didn't want to get put into one of these, you know, logistical catering type roles that you know, unfortunately, a lot of sports dietitians are put in, even at the NFL level, where you don't have a lot of freedom, you don't have a lot of autonomy, you kind of have to 
you know, work under somebody else's vision and guidance of what they think you should be doing in your position. So, you know, fortunately enough, the, the Giants position was something that like, I didn't even know could potentially exist. And, you know, I had the opportunity to interview, went there and was offered the job. And so I was with the team from, you know, 2017, 2017, 2018, 2019, and then pretty much three quarters of 2020 before deciding to um, transition my career a little bit in a different direction. That is, it's, it's, I thought of so many things while you were talking. One is (laughs) first off, I feel like you explained my husband being a young kid who played a lot of video games and played a lot of sports up until he became, you became a dietitian. He didn't do that. But then second is that I think it's really interesting because people ask questions like, well, how did you become the, the dietitian for the giants? And they expect you to say like, well, I applied last year and it was easy. And it's like, it's not easy. This, this was a journey that started for you in high school, which I'm so impressed with your motivation to change your diet all by yourself when you're in high school and you, and you went through all these different steps and you acknowledged the, your shortcomings. And it's just, it's kind of an amazing journey. Um, and I, and I, another thing that you said which I thought was interesting was that you didn't want to do it just because it was professional football, which is a question I ask a lot of dietitians who work with the pros is that, do you find that the pros are receptive to your nutrition advice the same way that sometimes collegiate athletes are? Do you feel like they are more so or less inclined to listen to you as a dietitian? I think so. And again, it depends on who that person is. So you're going to have a lot of college athletes that really do buy in and take your information to heart. And, you know, it's, it's the type of athlete that gets recruited. It's the culture that a coach has set to where, you know, you will have a good number that will mostly do whatever you say, uh, but levels of buy-in are going to be very different at, at every level of sport. So what I found is more guys at the pro level are receptive to just listening to what you have to say, because not every player on a 53 man roster has a Patrick Mahomes type contract. You know what I'm saying? It's only a small handful. Like you're not going to have 53 pro bowlers. 53 players aren't going to be making, you know, $20 million a year guaranteed money. These guys are fighting for their positions. You know, they all have to prove themselves. They all have to get a roster spot. So it could be, you know, a one-year deal. It could be a prove it deal. It could be somebody that's finishing out a rookie deal. So a lot of these guys know that, if I'm going to be able to make money playing this sport that I love or may not love, who knows, because it's varying differences, uh, differing levels of how much they love the sport, but they know that they have to be healthy. They have to do any and everything that they can to at least show the GM, show the head coach that they deserve to be on that roster to make a lot of money. So that's where guys are going to be a lot more open to saying, Hey, just, you know, tell me what I need to do to do this. I need to, I need to, I need to recover better. I know I don't do a good job of that. Tell me, how I can eat, sleep, you know, do active passive recovery, you know, what I need to supplement with based on what I might be deficient in. So from that regard, you can get a lot more buy-in than trying to change an 18-year-old kid's mind who's a five-star recruit who has been told he's the greatest thing since sliced bread from rivals, from ESPN, from Sports Illustrated. And he can go out all night, eat Chick-fil-A and still, you know, dominate on Saturday because there's such a huge discrepancy between caliber of player as you, you know, we've been able to see over the past few years, you have one or two really dominating teams in college football and then everybody else kind of falls in line. If you just have, you know, better players, you're more than likely probably going to win. And that's where it's tougher to get that buy-in because you have a lot more athletes 
to try to work with over the course of a year. They have limited resources in terms of money themselves, as opposed to the NFL guys who have more than enough money and you've got pretty large budgets with NFL teams. Uh, so it definitely does differ, but you can get buy-in at both levels. And you said something before about essentially sports RDs sometimes with teams are working in catering, which essentially means they're planning meals, they're doing stuff with just making sure that the food is available to the players, which is not necessarily ideal. So do you work with players to create an individual nutrition plan for each person or how does it work? Is it more general? Here's like the best advice for recovery. Here's the best advice for before a game. Is it more you're sitting down with them one-on-one? You know, in a perfect world, we'd have these meetings with every single player, you know, it it wouldn't just be 15 minutes where you're just answering questions because they're inquisitive. But the truth is you're only going to get a small handful of players that are going to want to sit down and take that time. And that's one of the tough things about working with professional athletes is compared to college is you have a lot less time to make an impression with them. So there's less time during the calendar year that they're actually with the team that you're going to be able to be with them face to face, because once they're in, you know, in the off season, a lot of these guys are training, you know, wherever Exos, LA, Florida, Texas, you know, and we were stationed up in Jersey, you know, you do have five to 10 guys that might be around over the course of three to four months, but it's very sporadic. It's not consistent. Um, a lot of those guys do want to sit down in the off season before they end up leaving or they'll reach out. But again, it's only a small percentage of the team. And then once you're together with the team, you're in charge of so many different things. It becomes difficult to try to get them to want to say, Hey, at the end of this practice day or this, you know, off season training day, I've got time. Let's sit down and, you know, go over everything. Let me do a proper assessment using the data that we have collected on you and figure out what your goals are. But again, a lot of players don't want to do that. They want something quick. There's like, Oh, tell me what to eat. And as you know, it's, a lot more complicated than that. So you you might have a small handful of guys on the team that are willing to do that, where you can provide the accountability and the coaching day to day. But for the most part, it's just kind of observing and seeing where guys at using the data that you're collecting to positively impact outcomes and use it for educational purposes. So whether it's, you know, weigh-ins, whether it's body comps, whether it's frame sizing, whether it's blood biomarkers, whether it's performance metrics taken in the gym, looking at you know, workloads from practice to teach these guys like, Hey, you know, um, what the coach has said, you're going to get a lot of snaps on game day. Uh, you haven't been doing this before. This is how I recommend you should eat based on what we're anticipating your workload to be things of that nature that they might not be aware of. Cause a lot of these guys just have their habits and they're not a- aware of how some of these things that they're doing aren't necessarily helping them based on what the energy demands and what their positional demands are so you know in a perfect world it'd be nice to sit down with all these players but you know it's it's a lot more difficult when you're put in that applied setting and working with these guys because it's such a chaotic environment you just don't have the time for it and sometimes these guys just want to sit down and go through a full assessment for sure yeah and i know you said they say tell me what to eat which is everyone says that to every dietitian they ever (laughs) meet (laughs) but that that made me think of i i'm assuming some of these pros fall into nutrition fads or they want to follow a nutrition trend. Do you ever see that? And are there ones that you're see a lot that you are just like, I wish this would go away. Yeah. You know, whatever the flavor of the month is that the media starts to portray because these guys are all on the same social media channels. They see the same things that we do. 
they'll hear about the new Netflix documentary and wonder, oh, and, and again, they're, they're completely obligated and they, they can do that because they don't know any better. So they see something that gets published and there's evidence and there's studies behind it. They don't necessarily know that, hey, nutrition science is constantly conflicting it. You just have to look at the individual situation and weigh all the evidence together as opposed to looking at studies that are cherry picked or who's who's creating this documentary, who's funding it. Oh well, yeah, you have people on one side that want to sell their product and their agenda. So yeah, they're not going to say like, well, you can be very open-minded with the way you eat. I'm like, no, we're going to you know, push this agenda instead. So you see a lot of like most recently it was, you know, plant-based it's keto. Um, more often than not, it's, it's some of the general things. It's not anything crazy or over the top. Like players will ask about a lot of different types of supplements and things that they hear from their agents, their friends, or they read online or somebody else recommended it to them or former teammate in college who doesn't play anymore says, Hey, this worked for me. You should check it out. Um, and, and when that happens, it's, sometimes the players just need to be slowly educated. It's not just saying, no, that isn't for you because if, if it's the off season and you know, this happened with one of my former players, him and his uh, girlfriend said, Hey, we want to kind of go plant-based. You know, she's going to try it for 30 days. I'm going to try it for 30 days. You need to, you know, can you help me navigate this? I'm like, okay, well, you know, tell me what your guys plan is. What, what type of foods you're looking at? You know, then we can think about, are you going to be getting enough protein in? Do we need to supplement you with creatine? Do we need to get, you know, zinc and iron and whatever based on what they're going to eat and what they're not going to eat? Because just because they're going plant-based and or vegan doesn't mean that they're going to do it the right way. I mean, there's definitely ways that you can do it successfully, but, you know, you could eat bagels all day and call yourself plant-based. And, you know, I wouldn't say that's healthy, but you can still fall in line with uh, it being plant-based or being vegan or whatever. So he's like, these are the type of things that we're planning on eating. You know, these are the type of things we like, you know, we don't like a lot of these other things. So we're not going to be cooking it or making it or buying it. So I said, okay, you're definitely missing out on a ton of micronutrients based on what you say you are going to eat. Well, you know, we can find some, you know, third-party tested NSF stuff for you. And, you know, we can put together your plan. This is how you kind of want to supplement to make sure that you're getting any and everything that you need. And by the end of it, like, the amount of things we put together on this list that he would need a supplement with because he wasn't eating any meat, dairy, fish, eggs, chicken, anything like that was crazy. But, you know, he wanted to go through it. He wanted to see how he felt. And I wanted to support him without saying like, no, you can't do that because you know, they're going to do it anyway. And if you can be on their side and still, you know, provide support, then that goes a long way with keeping that relationship healthy. So when he does have questions, which he had a lot, he, would be, he'd have enough confidence to be able to come to me and ask me without, you know, feeling awkward, without feeling judged or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I actually am plant-based and I have been for a long time. And I, um, always tell people that one, I'm going to meet you where you're at. And two, I don't recommend this for everyone. Like you have to know what you're doing here and you have to like, you kind of like you did evaluate your diet and understand what you're doing. Um, so and, and I'm sure that these guys see another guy who's doing it so well and is yeah. in the media and is vegan and is, you know, performing at his best. And of course, you know, the, I mean, the main person, he's not, I don't think he's vegan, but I think of Tom Brady, who has like this insane diet, who has ever eaten a strawberry or something. I don't know. Um, and they're like, well, that's what I want to do. So it, I, I mean, this is why it's amazing that they have a dietitian as a resource for them. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. Like if you... <laughs> 
Tom Brady is the, the most winningest football player in you know the history of the sport. And the reason he's so good is because of what he has between the ears. Like that guy is just so mentally strong and puts in the work. It's not because of these crazy things that he's eating. You know, yeah, he takes care of his body, but you know, physically he's not more impressive than other people. It's just that he invests in studying, he invests in you know, his mental health and well-being, he invests in taking the time to be a student of the game. He's got a PhD in football, not because of he's not successful because of his techniques in terms of what he's eating and not eating. And again, what works for him works for him. Guys are so different across the board. So if somebody would try to emulate that directly, it doesn't automatically mean they're going to have success. But like you said, if they see somebody have a lot of success uh, doing something, there's that automatic association. It's just like when the Ravens last won the Super Bowl and it came out that they were doing FMS screening, um, you know, prior to and helping them with just figuring out if their athletes needed any specific movement um, corrections and correctives. And then everybody and their mom from football teams to the NFL and in college wanted to do FMS because it had helped the Ravens. It's like, look, that's just a, a piece of the puzzle. It's not, not the reason why they were successful. Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to ask you some questions that are a little bit granular, but I think they apply to obviously the high level athletes you've worked with, but also kind of everyday athletes and some things that I've seen you kind of chat about on your social media. So you talked about supplements and I know one that you're a big proponent proponent of is creatine. So what does creatine do? How can it help an athlete? And how do you recommend it for someone, for instance, who's you know, maybe running an hour a day, not necessarily playing it at a competitive level. Yeah. So, so creatine is naturally found in the diet through animal sources and it's synthesized through three amino acids. I think it's methionine, lysine, and tryptophan. I could be wrong. And it's stored in, in the skeletal muscles, the brain, the kidneys, testes, liver, a lot of different organs. So from a performance standpoint, the thought is if you're able to store more muscle creatine when you're doing high intensity type activities where, you know, you can donate that, that phosphate group to ADP to make ATP, you can delay fatigue. You can get more out of specific sets, you know, more reps, you know, keep sprints going a lot longer. So then over time you can improve performance, you know, build more muscle because you are doing more work without having to sacrifice, you know, energy and anything like that. But now a lot more research has come out to show that, you know, creatine not only is useful for, you know, sprinting and lifting, but also, you know, it's been looked at as a, a protective measure for inflammatory markers. So they studied, you know, runners, they studied soccer players, they studied college football team and shown that, hey, it, it can be protective for soft tissue injuries, for helping with incidents of dehydration and cramping, for specific inflammatory markers. It also now has been shown to be, I guess, neuroprotective for, you know, concussions because we do store creatine in the brain and they can donate and be a part of uh, creating ATP because at the onset of a concussion, the blood brain barrier increases and in, um, ATP and creatine stores in the brain decrease significantly. And they've also looked at it in, you know, bone health, the use in, you know, heart failure patients, type two diabetics, because again, it is used as an energy source, uh, during high intensity muscular contractions. And then even, uh, for those that have links with anxiety and depression, it has been shown that, you know, it can alleviate some of these symptoms. So it's, it's not just a, a singular application for, you know, this, this supplement, there's a lot of different uses that are coming out, even therapeutic, and there's more research coming out where, 
you know, if you have uh, a youth athlete that is responsible and eats well and is lifting properly and maybe, you know, might be vegetarian or vegan and or doesn't have a great diet in terms of getting any and everything that they need, they could potentially get some kind of benefit of it if they're looking at, you know, improving muscular strength and size and things of that nature all the way up to elderly populations. You know, if I could get my parents on it, I would, but you know, parents are parents and their mom and dad are definitely not <laughs> going to be interested in taking it. So say, say I'm running my next marathon and I I'm, I'm sold and I want to do this. What do I do? How much do I take? Do I take it every day? Yeah, I would say, you know, you'd want to take it well in advance to get used to having your saturated creatine stores. Um, instead of just, hey, I'm going to be running a marathon pretty soon. I'm going to start supplementing with it because it does take anywhere from three to four weeks to saturate in the muscles. There is a little bit of weight gain associated with it because just like, you know, as we store muscle glycogen in our muscles, we also, you know, store upwards of three grams of water. Creatine does the same thing when it stores in the muscle, it does store a little bit of water too. So that's where you hear about, Hey, I, I, I started taking creatine. I, I put on this water weight and that's, that's the reason why, but then it just normalizes once the body saturates it. Uh, and gets used to it. So that weight gain over time isn't a, a linear weight gain. The body does get used to it. So that'll allow you to see, you know, now I have my creatine stores saturated in the muscle. Uh, what does it feel like when I'm training and getting ready for it? So then as you're doing your training runs, whether they're, you know, the short distance, long distance, whatever it is that you program into your week, you know what it feels like. So over time, you 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 understand how your body is adapted to it. You know, do you feel like there's a benefit to it? And it's as little as three to five grams per day. You would just take it after training. Awesome. Well, that's helpful. And I actually may do that. <laughs> um, what about branch chain amino acids? I feel like, I mean, I think people think protein is the best thing that ever happened to them, but I feel like branch chain amino acids are even more glorified than protein. People are drinking them in waters. They're taking them in. I don't even know what they're taking them in. In supplements, it, there's, they're everywhere. Do you think they're beneficial? I'd say the essential amino acids in, you know, like a powder or pill form are much better than just taking the branch chain amino acids. And the reason why is, you know, the BCAs, um, leucine, isoleucine, valine, leucine is the one that is that muscle protein synthesis trigger. So, you know, after training, after exercise, the goal is to try to get, you know, upwards of 2.5 grams of leucine to help with that muscle protein synthesis trigger. But now more research has shown that you can optimally stimulate muscle protein synthesis in the way that the body really can maximize that benefit by not only having the appropriate amount of leucine, but also having the other eight essential amino acids too. So it's not just leucine by itself. And that's the benefit of having a complete protein source, you know, something like whey protein or, you know, the full complement of the essential amino acids, because it does include leucine and it has the other eight alongside with it. So some of the research that's been coming out shows that, you know, BCAs by themselves aren't as hyped up as they used to be and what people think of because of this reason why. And even more so if you combined high quality protein, you know, 20 or 30 grams along with, you know, five to 10 grams of essential amino acids, because then you're going to have um, them individually broken down and ready to be assimilated and absorbed can provide even more of a benefit than just taking uh, a specific protein source by itself. So I would say, you know, if you, if you are looking to spend money on some type of amino acid supplement, go for an essential amino acid supplement as opposed to BCAAs. 
Okay. So you do think that it's beneficial to incorporate some sort of amino acid supplement, even if you're getting enough protein in your diet. Yeah. And again, getting enough protein in the diet is depending on who you are and what you're doing, you know, how hungry are you? The type of foods that you eat can sometimes become difficult. And if you're talking about some of these really large athletes that are, you know, 300 to 350 pounds that just sometimes don't feel hungry, don't want to eat. So they're only getting, you know, two to four feedings in, but they still have high protein needs, especially for some of these guys that are trying to lean out. So you obviously want to make sure that you're maintaining muscle mass and uh, making sure that they have enough in their system throughout the day, you know, the way that they can help out with that is by getting in those essential amino acids too, instead of having to eat, you know, 50 grams, 60 grams of, you know, steak, chicken, whey protein, and multiple feedings throughout the entire day. While also thinking about, oh, I need to control my calories because I have a weight loss goal. So I have to be in a deficit to be able to reach that goal. And talking about guys that need to lean out, in comparing them to someone, say, who needs to gain weight for like a linebacker or something, I think a lot of people think that these bigger guys can eat whatever they want. They can eat cheeseburgers. They can do this. They can, you know, just put as many calories as they're in their body as they want. And I, I mean, I don't know, but I assume that's not necessarily what you're telling them to do for someone who needs to like kind of gain weight. How do you go about that with them? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing too, is just not really trying to get them to gain weight really quickly or say like, Oh, you've got to gain X amount of weight in in a specific amount of time, because then they're going to freak out and say, look, I'm going to go specifically by the number on the scale because the goal for weight gain is to put on muscle mass. You know, anybody can gain weight by putting on fat mass because we know how easy that is, you know, eat a hypercaloric diet, eat whatever you want. Even if you are resistance training, you know, odds are um, if it happens too fast, then there's just way too many calories consumed. And so the body's just going to store it as fat, you know, with some of these weight gain guys, what we try to do is again, just calculate what their energy expenditure is, you know, offshoot by getting, you know, a 25% caloric surplus or 35%, whatever it seems like, and then figure out days that they are training because it's really difficult to be at a a 750 to a thousand calorie caloric surplus every single day of the week for guys that just aren't used to eating that way, you know, maybe they'll be able to do it for two days, but to be able to do it over the course of seven days of the week becomes really difficult. So they have to kind of build up to that. So understanding, you know, all right, what does the schedule say? When are you training? What are your opportunities to eat? You know, when should we go higher in calories at certain times of the day? When should we start including liquid calories? You know, what do your protein macros look like? And obviously the one that's going to get manipulated the most is going to be carbohydrates based on their training status. And, you know, is it a rest day? Is it a training day? So then, you know, it's, it's a lot of education, a lot of, you know, being patient with it and, you know, saying, Hey, every now and then, if, if you're not super hungry and you want to indulge a little bit with something instead of, you know, your standard steak, potato, you know, broccoli or asparagus, it's like, Hey, go, go get some pizza, but let's not make that the go-to because again, the goal is to put on muscle mass, not just put on weight. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep going back to runners cause that's kind of the world I live in, but it, it's like people who run a marathon and you're really increasing your mileage and you come to recognize that you don't love having to eat more. It's not actually as fun as it sounds. No. And what they have to also realize too, is as they gain weight, you know, whether it's five pounds, 10 pounds, well, they've also increased the, their metabolism. So their energy expenditure from BMR goes up too. So you have to adjust for that after time. So when guys look, I can't gain weight, you know, meeting the same amount. It's like, look, you're heavier now. So now we have to 
recalculate. We've got to put you at a new baseline. Very, very interesting and also probably difficult. Um, how do you how do you address differences in nutrition from in season to off season? Are is it different? Yeah. So, you know, we like to periodize that depending on what the aims are for the player in the off season. So we just look at it from a perspective of, all right, if, if we're not with the team in the off season training period program, we can be a little bit more lax on, you know, trying to force recovery and thinking about the amount of carbohydrates somebody's eating, because again, they're not going to be expending it on the field for two hours and then in a game for three hours. So that's when you can really take advantage of body composition changes and the earlier, the better, because some of these guys will show up 10, 20 pounds overweight. And then the coaches and GMs are like, Hey, this person needs to lose weight. And they're like, I don't have much time for them. It's going to be a difficult process. I want them to do it right, but we also have to get results. So, you know, the scary thing happens is if the number on the scale isn't coming down fast enough because they get fined for being overweight, then they're going to get in the sauna. They're going to, you know, jump on the bike. They're going to put on multiple pairs of clothing and long sleeves while they practice or while they, you know, do their extra cardio, which, you know, it's not what you'd recommend, but now they're just in the situation where they have no choice. So the off season is a great time to really get a chance to hone in on some good habits, you know, make large body composition changes or, you know, as appropriately as they can. And then once they, they get to training with the team, now we understand that their energy expenditure and their needs are going to go up because there's a lot more damage that's done when they practice, as opposed to the lifts they do in the weight room by themselves, or, you know, just some of the things they do with their personal strength coaches and trainers that they work with in the off season. So understanding what they're doing during those time periods does help. Um, but yeah, we, you know, recovery is more of a focus and concern and carbohydrate consumption when they're with the team doing, you know, practices, competition, team type of activities, as opposed to the off season when we're looking more for adaptations and, you know, incre increasing specific parts of their fitness that they might be missing out on, or just trying to put on muscle mass and lose body fat. I have to go back to something you said, you said they get fined if they're overweight. Yeah. You can't find them for being underweight, but every player has a set number where, you know, it, it could be a range just say, Hey, like this is where we want you at. Try not to be over. And, you know, some teams, it could be a singular number, some, it could be a range just, you know, because not every guy is going to be perfect week to week. You know, you're going to have so many fluctuations throughout the week, depending on how much they're training, have they gone to the bathroom, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's, I think last time in 2019, cause I, I didn't go throughout the 2020 season. I think it was like $690 a pound. Oh that they gosh. get fined if they're over. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, that to me, I've like so many red flags. <laughs> does, does that, does that, um, create like any sort of disordered eating about around among them or anything like that? There's always a possibility. Like you never want to say that there isn't, even though, you know, these guys are professionals, there's still an association with food with everybody and on sort of differing levels. But I think it's more so of, if, if you've been with the player for a good amount of time and, and, you know, you know how their bodies are, you've done multiple, you know, body composition assessments, you've been with them over the course of a season or two, you've done weekly weigh-ins and the coaches see, you know, how they perform and understand like, yeah, this guy, you know, we, we know what he can be successful at. Sometimes it's more of an accountability thing because there are a lot of players too that say, you know, screw it. I'm just going to 
and, and it goes team by team with how hard they instill it. So, you know, these guys are professionals. They have to operate at a certain level. And, you know, we try to take as many factors into consideration with providing them with the resources and the opportunities to know what the best level is, but also knowing the players know their bodies best themselves. So they'll have a lot of input too to say, yeah, this is reasonable. I agree with it. And and, and they all they co-sign off on it. So it's not something that gets thrown to them out of left field. But again, part of being a professional is taking care of your body and being able to function at a high level, depending on, you know, what your positional demands are and what the team needs of you. And also, you know, what your teammates need of you as well. So, you know, it's very, it can be very selfish for guys that, you know, the normal weight, normal weight, they're hitting their, their goals. And all of a sudden somebody's 10 pounds over, which happens quite a bit. It's like, dude, you're going to play 70 snaps on Sunday in two days and you're 10 pounds over. And now you're just going to dehydrate yourself to try to, you know, make weight because you couldn't take care of business and act like, you know, a grown adult to, you know, not drink and indulge and do X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, you have a bad game because you're dehydrated and you didn't play well and you're fatigued and it showed up and you let your team down. So again, it, there, there are always two sides of it and you always want to make sure that, you know, we always provide the best environment and education and resources and information for the players, but at the same token, they have to take the initiative themselves to take care of themselves as well. That's true. And they have all been doing this since they're children, right? So at this point, eating and nutrition is almost like prescriptive for them. They know exactly kind of what they have to do and, and probably takes some of the joy out of eating, but that's, that's what it is. It's part of the sport. Yeah. I mean, you know, to make a big payday and to just say, Hey, you know, I'm willing to do this instead of exactly what I want to do to be able to get the outcome that I want and, you know, keep getting paid a lot and get, you know, have that trust built in with the coaches and the GM. Like, yeah, that's a trade-off that's completely worth in my mind. Well, this was super interesting. What you do sounds fascinating. I can't imagine the amount of different uh, scenarios you've been in. And I loved hearing all about your career. So where can people find more from you or follow you? Yeah, I'm definitely very active on social media, mainly on Twitter, but also on Instagram. So my handle is just at Pratik X Patel, you know, pretty much answer all DMs and all comments, you know, unless somebody DMs me and says, hey, which I'm sure you probably get those two. It's like, I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) (laughs) I do. And you always share really interesting studies or even advice. And if you are interested in kind of supplement stuff, I don't actually even have Twitter, but I still went on there. You don't have to have Twitter to to look at what someone's tweeting. I went on there to follow your tweets and I was really, it was fascinating all the stuff you're talking about supplements. And so I encourage everyone to go follow him. No, I appreciate that. Well, thanks for doing this. No, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleats or visit my website at greenleats.com.